Well, if you've been here the last 10 years, you've seen this church change a lot. And if you haven't been here the last 10 years, I'll give you a little recap. This building didn't exist until about three years ago. And this congregation packed into a small gym for two, three, four, sometimes even five services. And there came this 10-year season of believing God to grow the church. And this building was built, and planning happened, and vision happened, and this church rallied around to make it happen. And here we are today as a large part of that vision. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but then the question comes up for me, well, what now? We're here. Where's the church going? What are we a part of? And I will share that as your pastor and part of the leadership team here, nobody was ever thinking that the building was the end goal. Nor did we think Burke Community Church would be the church that everyone would say, they have a nice building. That's a good thing, but it's not the thing. So where are we going? What is this for? What is the purpose of the building and why we're here? Well, in the past weeks, your senior pastor and the elders have been meeting together, praying together, talking about what does this next season have in store? And one of the things that's been exciting, there's been a lot of just uh, unity around, is this idea of coming back to just what we were called to in the first place, the great commission of Jesus Christ. What did God call his followers to do? Well, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says to his followers that all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And amazingly enough, in all that, there's just one command. There's one imperative. It's not to go, but that's part of it. It's not just to teach and to baptize. That's part of it. The command is this, make disciples. And for those of us in this room, when you hear the word disciple or discipleship, you may not be sure of what that means. In fact, if I ask 50 people what discipleship is, I might get 50 different answers. But in this, as uh, the elders talked, in the next five to 10 years, what if instead of just building the church building, which I don't mean to say that's all that's happened in the last 10 years, (laughs) we saw an incredible way God building the kingdom of God change life stories. And friends, this isn't just a vision for the future. I'm going to tell you right now, it's already happening. Have you noticed how many baptisms are happening on a Sunday morning? Have you noticed the number of people that are coming to faith in Jesus? Did you know that practically a spiritual revival is broken out in our third grade? Where lots of people are coming to faith and people are being baptized? There's some of you here today who are just checking out this church or checking out who Jesus is. And I love what Mike Breen in his book, Building a Discipling Culture, wrote. He says, if you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you just make a church, you sometimes get disciples. Jesus' last command to his followers was to go and make disciples. And in the next three weeks, we have the opportunity to lean into what does that mean and what does that look like exactly? 
This week, we're going to talk about the prep for discipleship. Next week, uh, Pastor Jim, our discipleship pastor, is going to talk about the plan for discipleship. And then two weeks from now, we're going to talk about the purpose of discipleship. And we're all going to do all this from Mark chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there now as we lean into this series called Discover Discipleship. Follow along with me as we start in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins." The first thing we're going to talk about this morning as we talk about the prep for discipleship is straight paths. Straight paths. It's easy to overlook the first verse where it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and you're thinking, all right, that's a good introduction. Let's move on to the story. But you have to pause for a second and realize what Mark is saying when this gospel is written. He is laying out the purpose of this entire book. This is the beginning of the gospel of who? Jesus Christ. He is the focus. He is the main character. It is all about him. That word gospel in Greek is the word euangelion. It's the word we get evangelism from. Translated, it means good news. And some of you are sitting here today thinking, you know what, Greg? I don't like the word evangelism. Yes, you do. You are evangelistic about things. You are an evangelist. When you care about something and you are passionate about something, you are not afraid to tell the other people around you. Will just outed himself and said that he is evangelistic about fantasy football. I saw a few UT fans here in the church today. Evangelistic about a big win last night. You get excited about these things. You get excited about the sale where you got a great deal on the outfit. You get excited about the movie that you want other people to see. And while the gospel of Mark is framed in this concept of Jesus as the suffering servant, it is not a story of woe and despair. It is one of the good news of Jesus Christ and how his suffering for us gives us life in him. We can't overlook the good news, the euangelion. And you might be saying, well, Greg, is this really about discipleship or evangelism? Which one are you talking about? And the answer is yes. Uh, I might put it this way. Do you like driving a car with an engine or a transmission? The two closely go together, as we will see more in this series. But we have to start with the good news of Jesus Christ. It goes on in verse 2 to say, I will send my messenger before you. This is literally saying before your face. One will come before, and you are looking in the direction towards the one who is going before, who will prepare the way. For who? It says in verse 3, prepare the way of the Lord. And then we're given this challenge, make his paths straight. 
I don't know if you've noticed it, but we already begin to see the picture of discipleship here. One who goes before, one who follows. Put simply, that's what discipleship is. Well, what does it mean to make his path straight? I ran across a story this week of someone who had an effort to make their paths a little straighter. Take a look at the picture on the screen. This is from the New York Times, September 5th, 2023, just a few days ago. A story titled, Workers Plow Through the Great Wall of China, Leaving a Hole. Two workers have been detained in northern China after the local authorities said they plowed through a section of the country's Great Wall with an excavator, leaving a gaping hole. The pair, a 38-year-old man and a 55-year-old woman, called irre uh, caused irreversible damage when they used the construction equipment to widen an existing gap and create a shortcut that was large enough to drive the excavator through it. Now, this is not an example in any way, shape, or form of go and do the same, right? This is pretty tragic. Uh, they would destroy the Great Wall of China for the sake of making their paths a little straighter. So it's not a great example. What it is, though, is a great illustration. What is a wall for? Walls for protection. A wall is for keeping somebody out. And in the history of the Great Wall of China, it was to keep out invaders, marauders, the enemy. That huge wall and all the effort to build it up was to protect themselves. All of us build walls in our own life. We have walls up that are because we've been hurt. We have walls up because of sin in our life. We have walls up that we put in our relationship with others, sometimes people close to us, sometimes people at a distance. We put walls up in our relationship with God. Sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not. And sometimes those walls are partitioned, are they not? God, you can have this area of my life, but don't, don't really speak into this over here. God, it is totally okay if you call me to do A, B, and C, but definitely not X, Y, and Z. I don't want to be a part of that. That's too much for me. We put up walls, and we may not know it, but it's like we're saying to God, go around or stop there. This picture that is being painted as John the Baptist prepares the way and this quote from Isaiah is shared, is that preparing the way of the Lord is making his path straight. It is letting down the walls. It is giving him clear access to ourselves. And we're going to have to think about that this morning, are we not? What are some of the walls that we may be putting up that may be getting in the way? It goes on to say in verse 4 that John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And a few words we're going to unpack because they show up again later in the passage that we're studying this morning is that he was preaching, which is the Greek word keruso. Preaching is different than teaching in the New Testament. Teaching, didasco, is more of a educating, giving somebody the facts, helping them learn, as you would think of in a classroom. Caruso preaching isn't just me up here on a stage on a Sunday morning. It is proclamation. It is the proclamation that, hey, there is good news out there. It is going into the world and proclaiming the good news. 
And so John was proclaiming what? A baptism of repentance. The word for repentance is metanoia. You may recognize that word meta. Noia means mind. Think of a word like metamorphosis. Morphe means form. Metamorphosis, a change in form. This is similar to a change in mind, but it's a little more complicated than that because the word meta can actually mean with or after. Well, how does a word mean both with and after? Shouldn't it be one or the other? Well, think of it this way. Meta refers to quite simply two things that are next to each other. And in a sense, they are with each other, are they not? But those two close things can also represent where I was and where I am now, what came before and what came after. And so this idea of metanoia is a changing of the orientation of the mind. Before my mind was set on the things of this world, my mind was set on the things of me. It was set on my priorities. Repentance isn't just contrition like we often think of it. That's part of it, feeling guilty and asking for forgiveness for our sins, but it is also taking hold of what God has for us. It is making the shift and reorienting the focus of our mind our hearts, and our direction towards Him. And what I find so fascinating about the ministry of John the Baptist, because if you imagine you were calling a bunch of people to come out to the wilderness, get dunked in water for the repentance of sins, that maybe you get 10? No, it says that everybody was coming. It says in verse 5, that all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. What an amazing thing to be a part of. What an amazing moment. Friends, I think this church has had a lot of those amazing moments where look what God is doing. Isn't this wonderful? And I would even share that I think a great strength this church and its leadership has been making straight paths. We're blessed to have a senior pastor that speaks to truth. That helps root out the lies in our world and in our hearts. And says, hey, don't, don't allow sin to just take place, but do business with it. Straight paths. The prep for discipleship. But let's move on to the next part and see what happens in verse 6. It says, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I. Am I not fit to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals? I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The second part of prep for discipleship after the straight paths is his power. Now, you may notice that anyone else here think John seems a little odd? Um, I don't remember the last time I ate a locust. Wild honey sounds delicious on the other hand. Camel's hair, leather belt around his waist. The question comes up, what is going on with John, right? I was blown away learning this, but John was a unique holy man figure. Get this. He came wearing the clothes of Elijah. In 2 Kings 1, you see something similar that the prophet was wearing. He came preaching the message of Isaiah. 
Isaiah 40. And he came baptizing like Elijah, as we see in 2 Kings 5. John embodies all that that the Old Testament prophets embodied. He looked like them. He did what they did. He spoke like they spoke. He wore their clothes. And if you think about where this time was in the history of Israel, this was the end of the silent 400 years. The last book in the Old Testament had been written 400 years earlier. And if you look at the, the letters that were written during this time, the Apocrypha or the intertestinal period, one of the things commonly said in this book is that in those days there was no prophet in the land. 400 years of waiting. Can you imagine? 400 years of Israel going through ups and downs, trials, hardships, some successes and victories, but a lot of failures without someone to clearly direct the path of which they were going. And this unique holy man figure comes along, hearkening back to the, the days of before. And what we see is that the darkness that they'd lived in created a hunger for the light. The desert that they lived in had only increased their thirst for water. And John starts preaching a baptism of repentance and all these people flock out to be a part of it. And what amazes me the most about him and his perspective, because I don't know if I would be so humble in those circumstances. You see, John was a visionary. He saw the future. He saw the one who was to come, and he knew it wasn't him. And he willfully diminished himself for the sake of the power of Jesus Christ. Once again, he was preaching. He was proclaiming. And this is the message we see in verse 7. He says, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I. Friends, do we take joy in talking about Jesus that way and seeing him that way? He is mightier than I. In verse 8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's saying this is a game changer. You've seen the work that I can do. We've baptized. God is making some paths straight, but it's making them straight for the one who is to come. Make way for his power. I love the way John put it in, as recorded in John 3. Such wise words here. He says, a person can receive not even one thing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the friend of the groom who stands and listens to him rejoices greatly because of the groom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase. I must decrease. That's the success of John the Baptist's ministry right there. Make way for Jesus. He's the real deal. My wife and I enjoyed... Uh, Funny enough, because football keeps coming up, a, a football series named Friday Night Lights about Texas high school football. Anyone aware of how serious Texas high school football is? Well, over five seasons, they kind of 
track the drama of all things Texas high school football. And the coach in that show had a phrase that he had all of his players recite, which was just this. It was, it was clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And they'd say it before every game and they'd get pumped up about it. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And I was thinking about that as I prepped this sermon. Because in a similar way, what we've talked about so far fits right into that. Straight paths, his power can't lose. Straight paths, his power can't lose. What's the prep for discipleship? It's simply this, make way for Jesus. Get out of the way. Let him have his place in your life, his rightful place. And so there's one question, I'm going to say it twice this morning, that it's for us to wrestle with, and it's this. What is getting in the way of Jesus having his way in your life? I don't know about you, but that's a convicting question for me. Because I have to be honest before God that he doesn't have all the space that he should occupy. My distractions, my time, my laziness... All those things, my pride, my self-will. And over and over every day is the opportunity to say, Jesus, I make room for you. What's getting in the way of Jesus having his way in your life? Take some time this morning to be honest with him about those things. And because it's all about Jesus, John the Baptist is about to take a back seat. He's done his part in the story. But what's fascinating, as the story transitions to focusing less on John and more on Jesus, we find out as well that Jesus needed to be prepared himself. Well, why would that be? Jesus was God, right? But he was also human. Just as the Bible talks about Jesus growing in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man, he had to grow. He had to be equipped and prepared And that's what we're going to start to see in verse 9. Let's read there together. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, you are my beloved son in you I am well pleased. We talked about straight paths and his power. The next thing in preparation for discipleship that we're going to see in the life of Jesus is consecration consecration. It's a big word. We'll unpack it a little bit more in a second. But I don't know if you thought about this. You guys are really smart people, and you probably did, and you probably would if you, if you had a little more time. John was pe- preaching a baptism of repentance, was he not? Specifically, it said, for the forgiveness of sins. Why then would Jesus have to be baptized? Jesus didn't have sin. It seems a little troublesome, does it not? Looking into this, I was blown away. Because Jesus himself speaks to this in John 17 in the high priestly prayer when he's talking about his disciples. He prays this before God. He says, for their sake, I consecrated myself, set apart, made myself holy, focused on the mission of God. Why? That they, my disciples, also may be sanctified in truth. You know, there's differing branches of Christian theology when it comes to baptism. Some say that it's just a symbol. 
Your life's been changed by Jesus Christ. You get baptized as a symbol to show what he's done in your life. On the other side of the theological spectrum, there's the belief that baptism saves. It is the act of baptism by which you are saved. Personally, I am a little bit more in the middle of these two. It's more than a symbol. We're saved before baptism. But I firmly believe that baptism sanctifies. It is the first step in being obedient to Jesus Christ and his call to discipleship as a follower of him. You see it all throughout scripture that there is no hesitation. You come to Jesus, be baptized, and identify with him through his burial and his resurrection. Even Jesus himself in a different account of this story where John the Baptist pushed back a little bit on baptizing Jesus as recorded in Matthew 3, Jesus says to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is, fulfilling, or is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And maybe you're here today and you haven't said yes to Jesus. Or maybe you have and you haven't been baptized. That first step is consecration. To simply say, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and Lord. I ask for you to forgive me of my sins. I acknowledge that I've fallen short and I've gone my own way. I give myself to you for your purposes. And friends, it's exciting. As I mentioned earlier, baptisms increase, have been increasing on Sunday mornings here. So much so, they're getting booked out. And we're like, how do we, how do we keep making room for all these baptisms. Well, let me just encourage you. That is a problem we're willing to have. Um, yeah, I'm happy with God creating some chaos there. But I firmly also believe that we're not done in seeing what God will do in calling people to himself. You know, in relation to Jesus participating in a baptism for repentance, Professor John Pennington in his article, Why Did Jesus Need to Be Baptized, said something pretty profound. He says, repentance, in a nutshell, means becoming a disciple. Jesus repents not in the sense of turning from sin. Our, necessary, our repentance necessarily includes this where his does not. But in the sense of dedicating himself to follow God's will fully on earth. Wow. Jesus led the way. And similarly, we are invited into this consecration to dedicate ourselves to follow God's will fully on earth. And once Jesus does this, something remarkable happens as recorded here in Mark. It says that the sky opens up. Jesus sees the sky open up. The word there is schizo. It doesn't mean just open and then later it closed like a portal. It literally means to rip, to tear open. And in that moment, there's a picture painted of heaven invading earth. Of a connection being made between those two worlds. It reminds me a lot of how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Because of the work of Jesus, this earthly reality doesn't have to be and isn't our ultimate reality. Heaven is invading earth. And then God says something so profound to Jesus. He says, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. This is what my friend Bob, who led me in ministry when I was younger, 
talked about as God's AAA program. Jesus had God's full affection. You're my beloved. Jesus had God's full assurance. You are my son. You know where you stand relationally with me. Jesus had God's full approval. He says, I am well pleased with you. And what's fascinating about Jesus' baptism is that Jesus was consecrated and he calls us to do the same. Jesus brought heaven to earth and he calls for us to not bring what we bring, but to rely on God's power in our life so that the kingdom of God may show up in and around us. And he also calls us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ as a child of God. We have his affection, his assurance, his approval. We can experience that too. And I'd love to end the sermon there and just say, now go and be excited about that. But the next thing that happens to Jesus is temptation. He's led into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. He is tried and goes hungry for 40 days, as it says, with the angels attending to him. It says, immediately the spirit brought him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. And a lot of times, friends, we like to leave this part out. We would like to just be, I'm consecrated, set apart for God's work. Let's go see awesome things happen. But God uses temptation and trial to prep us in ways that are deeper than we can comprehend. Jesus scored a great victory in resisting Satan. Jesus three, Satan zero. Similarly, similarly in our own lives, God will take us through times of trial and testing to make us who we have not yet become. And I know this is a hard one because for some of you right now, you're in the middle of that season. The goodness of God seems a little more removed than right in front of you. The trial, the testing, the hardship is real. And I'm encouraged but also haunted by the words of someone I respected in ministry who I heard on a handful of occasions say to me, Greg, The people I have seen most used powerfully by God in ministry went through some of the biggest hardships. And there's a part of discipleship that says, my life is not my own. I will follow you, God, where you lead, if that means to the mountaintops or into the desert. But the beauty of it is that God does not leave us there. And so if that's you today, if you're experiencing that, I would just want you to know that God is at work. He is with you. And he won't let this season come out fruitless. In fact, there's even room to be excited and have anticipation about what God will do through it.
So here's Jesus. He's consecrated. He's tempted. And then where he goes from there is he pretty much launches into his public ministry. It's something we'll dive into more in the weeks to come. But so much of what God does through all of this leads to proclamation. This good news, this work that God is doing, this heaven invading earth does not end with us. It is not just something we keep to ourselves in this room. If you follow with me in verse 14, it says, Now after John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is proclaiming the gospel, the good news, the euangelion. And we don't have the time to unpack it all today, but in short, this is how I would paraphrase it. The time is fulfilled. Friends, this is what you've been waiting for. The kingdom of God is at hand. Whether you see it or not, this is what you were made for. As C.S. Lewis once said, and I'll, I won't quite quote him properly, but the gist of what he said was, if you find in yourself a longing that is not satisfied by anything of this world, it shows you were made for another world. Friends, the world around us is longing. They have not found what they're looking for. And they don't need just more of me and you. They don't need more check boxes. They don't need just good things to do. They need an encounter with the living, risen Jesus Christ. The final part of that message is repent and believe the gospel. Turn from all of this and trust him. Let go of all those other things and say, Jesus, those aren't worthy. You are. What is discipleship? You know, that phrase earlier that was said about John the Baptist is just as easily applied to Jesus himself. I send my messenger ahead of you. Jesus went before us. Who will prepare the way. Jesus prepared the way. He went to the cross. He did the work. What do we do? Follow him. Go where he goes. How do we do that? We take the next step. This is one of the reasons that we've chosen here at the church to call discipleship or refer to it with this Discover logo that you've seen on the screen. Because when you follow Jesus, he doesn't lay out the whole plan for you. He doesn't say this is where you'll be in two years, nor is it linear. Jesus has something far beyond what any of us could imagine. And that arrow in the upper left refers to those who don't know Jesus. Some of you are here today, and you may know nothing about Jesus, and we're glad that you're here. You may know about Jesus, but you haven't come to the point of trusting him yet or beginning to follow him and give your life to him. This is a place where you can discover who he is and what he invites you into. And you also heard earlier about Discover Jesus starting on Tuesday nights. What a great place to be a part of that. The second arrow refers to knowing and trusting Jesus. This is the childhood stage of spiritual growth. I'm learning to spiritually walk. I'm learning to spiritually talk. I'm learning what does it mean to experience the cleansing of confession and repentance and to experience God's love and forgiveness. 
It's not just that I know about God, but I learned to follow him into places that I wouldn't go before. He's teaching me to follow him. The next arrow refers to serving Jesus. As we grow out of the generally self-centered folk uh, stage of, of spiritual childhood, we grow into a stage of starting to give ourselves away, to realize that we can serve the church, we can serve our neighbors, we can love others with the love of Jesus by the things we do and the things that we say. And that final arrow refers to making Jesus known, or you might call it the disciple maker. It helps us realize that this is what Jesus called his disciples to, to be a disciple maker, not just to be a disciple, but to go and make disciples. And what's amazing is as we grow as disciple makers as a church, it becomes more a part of our lives to share him with people that don't know him, to come alongside people that are spiritually uncertain and help point them to the one who offers life. And like I said earlier, this isn't linear. And honestly, even if you're a disciple maker, you're not done knowing and trusting or serving. We're, we're all growing in different levels of these things. And God often grows us through taking some of the simple things deeper and deeper in our life and in our practice. But the question for us today is just, what's the next step, right? All of us are on this spiritual journey. What is your next step? And I even look at this and I say, I became a Christian 15 years before I understood what my call to discipleship was. Maybe you're in a similar place. God's opening your eyes to who he is and what he's doing. And I hope you'll continue to journey with us in the next two weeks to come. What's the prep for discipleship? Make way for Jesus. Straight paths, his power can't lose. And then what is getting in the way of Jesus having his way in your life? I want to close this in prayer, but as I pray, I invite you just to, to ask yourself that question. Be honest with God about things that may be getting in the way. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, you have gone before us. Jesus, you came to earth. And you paved the way. You are powerful. You are God. And so we come to you this morning honest about the things that are holding us back, but also saying we release them to you, Father God. Lord, we confess that we've held the reins too tight. We've been afraid of what you might do if we really give you control. But we're also tired of doing things our way. Take your rightful place in our lives. Empower us by your spirit. And I pray, Lord, for those today that haven't yet said yes to you, that today would be the day that they say, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and Lord. I confess my sins to you. Forgive me of my sins and show me your path. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the work you're doing and for the work you will continue to do. In your name we pray, amen.